Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. Here we are. Morning. So Good morning. Big shakeups in college football, eh? Oh, with uh, Notre Dame. With Notre Dame and uh, Riley Ohio State losing to USC. You rally to USC. All I know is them them Georgia dogs just keep keep rolling. We're pretty good this year, man. I don't want to say anything, but have we said too much? I maybe. I'm so nervous. <laughs> <laughs> man, I'm out of my depth. All I know is I, I watched a little bit of the Illinois Notre Dame basketball game and they mentioned something about Notre Dame football. And so I Googled it and I found out that Brian Kelly was it last night announced he was leaving. Oh, <gasps> I didn't know that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No way. He's leaving? Going to LSU. That's all I know about what you're talking about. I know that the oh. Georgia Bulldogs are a team from Georgia. And you got good. that right. <laughs> you can say that again. Dude, I did not know Brian Kelly's going to LSU. That's probably why I know is because I was watching the Illini game last night as well. Oh, we were playing Notre my Dame. goodness. Did they win? I went to bed. They did. They did. Nice. The Illini won. Yeah. Hmm. That's going to be a real shakeup. You're right. And in, uh, in the SEC there. Sheesh. And I think, well... Riley's about to turn USC around. Back in the day, USC, they had a, like an Alabama-esque program. Oh, yeah. Those Pete Carroll teams, unreal. Unbelievable. I mean, and then even their, like, their running back stable back in the 90s, and they were just a dominant, dominant program. Uh, I had one of the chaplain that I grew up with in high school. He graduated from USC. And he was a huge USC fan. So during school, we'd just talk football all the time. And I'm like, why is, you know, I'd ask him, like, why is USC so good? What, what's the deal? And he's like, who the heck would want to come to this beautiful campus and play football at Southern, in Southern California? I'm like, that's a really good point, man. You know, it's just. I watched a- something too. Maybe it was a documentary about USC, but that uh, really before. I think they have maybe two NFL teams in LA now, but they didn't have an NFL team in LA, which is, you know, the second biggest city in the country. So they kind of were their NFL team, if you will. Mm. The city was a fan of of the college team. So there was a lot of celebrity around it and movie stars and stuff would go to the games and That makes sense. USC and UCLA, they Mm -hmm. do have I guess it's like an LA vibe even to their college teams yeah but now you're right they do have like two did the rams go there and the chargers yeah i didn't know the chargers were there i know the rams yeah they moved last year this year yeah from san diego yeah the chargers who have philip rivers or no not philip rivers moved to the colts i think but he was quarterback there for years and he is known to uh he spoke at seek once i saw him or SLS. He's very Catholic. Yeah. I, I heard, a, I read a cool story about him 
when they moved from San Diego, they were the San Diego Chargers to LA, that he didn't want to uproot his family and move him to LA. And so he kept his house in San Diego, but it was like a, maybe a two or three hour commute up to LA from their house. And so he bought this insanely sweet vehicle and just um, like totally retrofitted the inside. And I think it ended up being like a $200,000 van that he would do all of his film study, his like office work in the car (laughs) and would have him drive him from home to the office, like to where the, the new chargers headquarters was for practice so that he could get all of his work done in the car, but that he wouldn't have to disrupt his family life and make Mm. them move or anything like that. Um, so he, he would have a driver, he had all these like TV screens and he would do his football analysis stuff and would talk to people on the phone and it's like a little mobile office so that while he was traveling, he was still getting his stuff done. So for, for his family. For my family. For my, for my family. family. <coughs> I can all read this from uh, Pacific Rim. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Well, how you guys been doing? I've been good. Yeah, life's been great here. It's been a, a very good, very good stretch. So looking forward to, I don't know if we want to timestamp this episode or not, but it is Advent. So looking forward to... Christmas. I got a few weddings coming up, which should all be great. It's been a very nice stretch here. How about you, Mike? Yeah, sort of the same. Uh, it's been, it has been a good stretch. Um, I had an awesome, man, we are time stamping this thing, but just had an awesome Thanksgiving with the family. And man, oh man, I don't, I don't know if y'all had any big plans for Thanksgiving, but we brought everybody home and had somewhat of a bash some would call it a super spreader event (laughs) (laughs) we had like 50 people at home and it was just that's well maybe but it was all just family sounds like a super uh, spreader of joy it (laughs) spread the joy yeah that's what it sounds like to me yeah it was contagious it was there was a huge infection it was an infectious joy it was super fun, and we ate. We had so much food, I couldn't believe it, and we we did a pretty good job on it. Yeah, so I, I'm like still riding the joy from mm-hmm. that Thanksgiving. That was really wonderful. That's awesome. Yeah, and last night we had a here at the parish we had a an altar server pizza party, which I don't know if y'all have ever done anything like that at your parishes, but um it was so good just to get together and like honor some of the kids that work at the parish and um i don't know to like dignify the things that they do and to feed them pizza and have fun and hang out and things like that but you could tell it's like a big deal for the kids Mm. to get a blessed cross and then some of them were like lead altar servers and they were like really proud of it and kind of came came up and got to bless them together and uh it's like a, a really meaningful event and you know i always talk about how we want to support families and the young people in the parish like this is the first event where i feel like we're really 
actually making this an emphasis um, to specifically honor and dignify and rejoice in what they're doing at the parish. So that was a ton of fun as well. That's very cool. I've thought about uh, as I get a skosh older and more into my being a pastor, being a priest and leading people, the more joy I get out of that sort of thing of watching people being proud of what they're, they've done, you know, and being able to honor them for that. Like, honestly, the coffee shop's been going really well. And all of our baristas are volunteer students. Some of them are focus missionaries, but uh, they've just done an awesome job and gotten really into it. And every one of them I ask, like, hey, have you liked being a barista? They're like, 10 out of 10. Love it. Um, wow. It's really fun. It's a good way to meet people. It's a new skill. I'm pr- more proud of the Newman Center and bringing people here. And um, yesterday, the vibe was just hopping. It's the week before finals, and there's like tons of new people in there. And the place was just full all day uh, with faces I've never seen before. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's happening. But and I could be just like, oh, look at me. I did this cool thing or I had this idea. But um, I sincerely am like more interested in our core people being happy <laughs> with, with how they have contributed to creating this environment. Um, and so the same thing goes like with the chapel, um, which is on its last month of, uh, renovation stuff before the dedication mass. And just thinking about, um, the liturgical excellence that I long for here and everywhere, but like I, w- I just want our servers and our our uh, sacristans and everybody in the choir and everybody involved in making the liturgy happen, proud to bring their friends here because it's beautiful, you know, and reflective of the glory of what what we're actually celebrating. And um, I think that's that's the kind of like a fatherly instinct, I suppose, is creating this. I remember Blaha uh, reflected on spiritual fatherhood or fatherhood in general is like creating this abundance in which your children can like partake, enjoy it, you know, and uh, also inherit it and belong to it. You know, like this is theirs. It's why you sweat and bleed to make it happen. It's kind of cool. So pizza party. Pizza party, man. I like that. Um, I that's a cool maybe lens to look at that. I don't, nothing's coming to mind specifically to relate it to right now, but that, that reality of when you look at something be like, oh my gosh, it's happening. But then like the response from, from there of like, do you just kind of like, let this thing go? Do you continue to try to push to like, make it grow more or be even better? Um, I've always found that like, I've always found that a hard line. Um, cause I think it can slip into like ambition pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Um, or, but also then like complacency as well. Um, it reminds me of, it's always been, like, I've been obviously throughout the years, um, around focus a lot, like working for them and now having missionaries and, um, yeah, it's kind of like in some ways, I don't know if it's annoying, but I do like kind of openly, I'll be honest, like make fun of it sometimes about like how many different like lingo and vocabulary that focus will have. And it's like, wait, 
why did these three letters change for this person's title? And like this <laughs> constant, like, you know, um, a change in, in that way. But they have this, what's impressive about it is like, they have this like huge emphasis on growth and becoming better as well. Um, so I don't know. I just, I, I thought of that when, um, you were talking, talking there of like, oh my gosh, it's happening. Hmm. It's like, what do you, what do you do when, when that happens to you? Like when you say that. Hmm. What, what happens to me when I say, when I have that kind of realization done on me? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know that there's much of a question there. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. There's, it's a weird tension you have to hold. I, I think to your point about focus, uh, recently we sent out a newsletter, the Newman uh, newsletter to our donors and friends and alumni and stuff. And um, I got a lot of good feedback, which I then forwarded to the people responsible for the letter. Um, but you, Mike, said something like, I could have been, it was it was great. You gave me lots of compliments. You're like, oh, it looks like Newman's doing great things. I wish the articles had been a little bit more conversational or some, something like that to that effect to just make it even easier to read, even quicker to kind of glean the salient information. And uh, at Thanksgiving, my mom or dad brought up like, oh, great newsletter. Newman looks great and blah, blah, blah. And uh, I was like, yeah, yeah, I've got a lot of good compliments. Um, my friend Matt said that it could have been a little bit more conversational. My parents were like, no, no, he's wrong. It was great. <laughs> They both just like came to my defense. Like, how dare he say that? <laughs> it was so funny because I guess that maybe it's from having focus and that culture around here for the last three years. But I'm like, I if I got no feedback of like how to improve this, that would not be good. I wouldn't like, whereas I think maybe three years ago, I was pretty sensitive to even a little bit of of negative feedback. Um, like, Oh yeah, it wasn't as good as it could be. Or like, that's, that was kind of the measure of success is that nobody had anything bad to say about it. Um, which I think there's something really good and healthy that I've learned from focus where they seek feedback. They seek, what can I be doing better? And, um, so your pride, your ego isn't so wrapped up in it and rather you're, you're more concentrated on the mission. Like, yeah, I would, uh, of course I can be doing it better. Of course there's some, some way to be more effective in the mission. That too, it can be a kind of obs- an obsession as well. If you, if you make it all about success and numbers and, and, and whatnot, but, um, there's a humility there that I've certainly grown in and I'm grateful for. That's cool, man. You got me, you got me good with your facial expression there. <laughs> I just see like the definitive, it's almost more of a symbolic gesture. Like, no, I'm on your team and anybody opposed to you, mm-hmm. I will destroy. Right. Just no, that is not true. Just, <laughs> you don't have no. to take that. Mm-hmm. You don't listen to them. Mm-hmm. I, I had uh, an experience like that. I know this is like just a tangential r- relationship to what you just said. So, um, but I was telling, I was complaining to my sister about how I got these stupid braces on I'm like, these, these things will never leave me. And she was like, let me see. Let me see your teeth. Let me see if they're straight. And for, like, no joke from like this distance, I just went. And she was like, oh, pff, they're so straight. You should, they should take them off. Like, <laughs> she didn't see them at all. It was just 
it was just a way to say I agree with you. Like yeah, no matter I what you say, you. I'm I'm on your team mm-hmm. right here. Like thanks, Teresa. That was <laughs> that was absolutely lovely. Yeah. No, but it is an important balance. I don't maybe this is something that I've been praying with and maybe I'll throw it out to you guys. Uh it's been coming up a lot in when I've been working with people in direction um and kind of in my own prayer life is the distinction between uh desire and expectation. Desire right. and expectation. Uh uh, and they're they're really closely related, but um, like the Lord, He gives us the grace of a desire that is a gift from Him. This little seed that He places in our hearts that we can return to, that we're aware of, and that we can nourish and allow to grow with His grace and in prayer and uh, attention to it and speaking to the Lord about it. Um, but almost organically, because of the way that we operate in our humanity is that I noticed that my own desires, I quickly put them in my own, in a context. This is what I think this desire is going to look like. And it turns into an expectation of what I think a thing should be. And although they're related and like one stems from the other, that the expectation is not exactly the same thing as the desire. And one, I think it's good to make that distinction. Um, But then two, like, I can become very attached to expectation, which is not quite real. Desire is deeply, deeply real. But the expectation is the manifestation of how I think the desire is going to reveal itself in my life. And if the, if the desire uh, doesn't match what I expect it to look like, I can almost like develop a type of attachment to something that I, I think is a desire, but it's actually the way I expect a certain desire to be fulfilled. I don't know if that part kind of got a little confusing there at the end. Um, but I think that kind of comes along with what we're talking about is, um, wow, it's actually happening. It's like the fulfillment of a desire. But then there's also this realization that like there's an expectation that was in my head like the Lord is, is bringing this about. Um, but then not, not pushing it further going into the realm of ambition, but then also not falling into complacency. Um, I mean, it's a tough balance, but I guess that was trying to make that nuanced distinction between, well, this is a desire that God has, but the way I expect it to, to be fulfilled is not always going to be the case. Yeah, God fulfills all these desires, but in his terms, you know, not on not in my terms. And I, I can become very attached to certain expectations. Yeah, that there's definitely something <clears throat> there. I don't know if this is exactly it, but it made me think of have you guys listened to the uh well we talked about it last time, the Peterson podcast of the Four Horsemen with Baron and I haven't listened yet. It's yeah, it's very yeah. good. Um, it's just interesting. It's like very free flowing and <clears throat> just for like really smart guys with different backgrounds and kind of this, um, yeah, like mission to help people with meaning, like in this particular instance. And um, anyway, they got into this. It was an interesting part of the discussion, and they were like they were talking about the distinction between. Um, 
like psychedelics and and how that can influence the mystical experiences. And um, yeah, I think I don't I could have misheard this, but I think Peterson was openly saying that he is convinced that the person who wrote the book of Revelation was on psychedelic drugs like when he wrote it. Hmm. And Baron was like, I, I don't know about that. <laughs> but uh, Baron was so, I, I, it was, he was just like so solid in this part, but he brought up John of the Cross and he talked about like one of, in the tradition, like one of the great um, lessons is always like you don't, even from the greatest mystics, is that you don't hold on to mysticism. Like in you, you have to let it go. You, there has to be a holy indifference towards it. Um, and so I thought it was interesting there, like desire and expectation, like um, that distinction. I think to draw the distinction, there has to be in a similar way, like a, a holy indifference to mm. it. Um it maybe is, is like what you're getting at there of, and maybe that's like maturity. Maybe it's just like spiritual growth or something, but it's like, okay, have I, do I know you well enough now, Lord, or trust, trust you in a way that like I can deeply take this desire seriously, but have an indifference towards the expectation that may come with it. Hmm. I don't know. You know there's something I, like rooted there. I I agree, and I think that's on the part of the um, the desirer or the expector to have an indifference. But the one who is being desired or expected from, um, I think the difference between desire and expectation is freedom. You just make you you allow the you allow the other to be free. Um, like for instance, if I had expectations about the coffee shop. Um, and I was just like, I want there to be lots of students in here and I want the coffee to be really good and I want it to be great vibes and everybody to be happy. And then I just like manufactured that and everybody felt like this pressure from me to make the place look good. You know, it, it just, it, there would be such a weirdness about that. Um, because, um, and sometimes we, we would joke about that as a family when you'd be at like at Easter mass or something. And the kids are all dressed up, but they're, you know, they never go to church and they don't know how to behave. And the, the parents are like, it's Easter, dang it. Like, be happy, you know? And uh, <laughs> your face is so killing me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So and... it's just, it's ironic because you're, you have this desire, but it's actually an expectation. And you're like, uh, you have to, you have to live up to this expectation for me. And that just compromises the freedom of the of the one that you are trying to invite into this beautiful or good thing. Right. Whereas a desire is like I have this I have this kind of undefined, limitless desire for truth, beauty, and goodness that I that I'm like inviting others into, and I'm sort of taking a risk here because I don't really even know what it's going to look like. I'm just kind of diving in and including you, and let's let's desire and let's hope together. But it's this open ended thing. Um, that uh, respects the freedom of the other. And I will say, when you said desire and expectation, what I thought of was uh, a while ago, I had this reflection of, in prayer that God does not have expectations of me. And sometimes I, I kind of, it's a form of idolatry that I can fall into that 
I just check boxes or I, I serve this record of like, I've done everything God expects of me. And so I should be good and I should be receiving consolation and all, you know, they kind of just treat it like this little um, machine or transaction. Whereas what God really has for me is desires, which means he, he wants something for me, not something from me. Right. And um, that's like the essence of relationship right there is, is the respect of the freedom of the other and the, but yet the desire to be near and to serve the other. Right. Um, and that's a totally different ball game. Uh, and it's very, it's not undefined. It, ha- it looks like something as Karchi would say, but it's not like this fantasy unreal thing that you have in your mind of like, when this happens, I'll have, I'll be satisfied or happy or X, Y, Z. And then it happens or never, never really happens because your fantasies are your, your perfect ideal is never really enfleshed. So you're really just kind of constantly restless and constantly sure, unable to live into the beauty of what's happening right in front of you. Sure. Yeah. Well, and I, and I think it's a limitation on desire ultimately is when we get wrapped up in the expectation rather than the desire. Even, even in the instance that you're talking about when you are the one that's being desired or being something is being expected from you, if we hyper-focus only on, you know, like, well, these are the things that God expects from me. So I'm going to hyper-focus on the expectation that I think he has. That's a limitation of a relationship that that's not an expansion of it. And the, and the same thing happens in, in prayer. And I mean, like an easy example that comes to mind is, um, if y'all have ever seen a bridezilla, mm-hmm. uh, oh yeah, like or weddings I, are big on this. Like you have I, so many expectations for the day, and it, oh it my just gosh, cripples I, you. I do a lot of quinceañeras, <clears throat> and I don't know anything about quinceañeras. I can't even. St- I still can't spell the word. I can't quite. <laughs> can't quite figure it out. There's something. It's a yeah. mystery. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Maybe, maybe not. Scientists and it's in- proven that that's how you spell it. Yeah, I think it's lost to ancient records. Uh, and it's in Spanish. Like my spell check doesn't work. <laughs> <So> <laughs> like, <laughs> makes it even worse. Um, shoot, what was I saying? Okay, so they can get so stuck on things that I would never notice. Mm. And it like ruins the day. And it's the smallest thing. Um, but it's something that they expect and they, they want it to be that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like <laughs> all of this great goodness and fun and beauty is happening. And there's just this like hyper focus on a limited individual thing. And to see it played out, the difference between desire for love, desire to be a part of the sacramental life of the church and marriage and rejoicing of family. And it's like, None of that exists in this world right now because all you can notice is that flower's in the wrong place. You're like, yeah. whoa. So, so what I've found is making that distinction is that we have expectations. It's the way that desires manifest themselves in our heart because we live in a certain time and a certain place, and I have a certain vision for the way I think things are going to work out. And so it's not to act like we don't have them, but it's actually to acknowledge them. And then to give them away, like the barren thing. Like, good, you have it. Expectation. You need something. You need some sort of a vision. We're not disembodied, you know, just minds and hearts that walk around. But, like, it has to look like something in time and space. So acknowledge it. 
realize it and then give it like articulate it to Jesus, which is the way that we kind of offer up our expectation to him so that you can return to the desire rather than be attached and hold on to the expectation. You know, as you're talking about the quince thing, um, I heard the Father Gallagher talking about like, what does he say? Like walk with reverence or something like that and holy ground. I, I was just at a quinceanera a little while ago. And um, well, first of all, what I was, what I thought of with this desire and expectation thing, w- one of the hardest ones to walk with people through is um, infertility. People want a child and they also expect one. You get married you, you're ready, you're trying to have a kid, and you, you can't get pregnant. Um, boy, that's a tough one. And um, yeah. Man. I was at a quincey, and uh, it was there was some expectation there, I think. I sat next to the mom, single mom, known her for a long time, and saved up a bunch of money and wanted to do this nice thing for her daughter. And um, you know, like a significant amount of money, even though it was, it was more humble than some that I've been to that are like, just blow out limos and all this stuff. They, they save money on a lot of the, the ancillary things so they could have a really nice banquet with their friends. And she's very involved at the church and is my old parish. And, uh, they brought out the wrong food and I could just see her like they, they had p- picked this menu, her and her daughter had picked this, like the food that they wanted and they brought out the wrong dishes. It was family style and stuff. And I could just see her, she was mentioning it, but she's like, it's fine. It's fine. No, it's, it's not, it's not important. She was like telling herself mm. that this is not the end of the world, but I did have hopes that like this would go perfectly. And there was just a couple things like that where I could see it weighed on her heart as she was having to let go. Um, so it was very impressive and beautiful in a way, although sad. And then to my right was this friend of hers who I, I had, known from years ago in the parish and hadn't seen her in a while and i knew she struggled with infertility and she had in the last like two months lost twins which she like her first time getting pregnant and then she lost these twins and one of whom lived for a few days and she was talking to her about it and just this this sadness guys i mean and so here i was in this it's in a quinceanera you know like we, i have been in those situations like you're talking about mike where it's just so shallow it's so like a big birthday party and um, what are you really hoping for? Your expectations are just hemming in any ability to really enjoy this day. It was like a mix of that, but like the, the needing to like in both of those situations, the quinsay, the food coming out seems like so insignificant, but the human heart just does. It longs for what you hope for, you know, and you have a certain expectation of how things are going to look and then the much more grave, much more serious, uh, but still like human experience of, of infertility and losing a child and, and stuff like just that, that place that we exist in of hope is so tense, you know, to like constantly be fighting against expectation and, and, and a lot like allowing desire to flourish, even though you know that the more you desire, the less this world is going to be able to satisfy those desires and the more you have to point your heart to God. Hmm. Um, and that often looks like the cross, like the dark night of the soul, St. John of the cross. It's seriously painful stuff, you know, yeah. and there's really no shortcut. 
so that's why I say like treading lightly because I mean, these sort of things, it's not a like, oh, just desire. Don't expect. Um, You know what I mean? No, no, totally. I mean, those are, yeah, really powerful, good examples. Um, Yeah. No, and and, I mean, just the way that it started to come up for me as well, like, I guess just to add to the... um, the tenderness of the topic, the sacredness of the topic is like, to be honest, priesthood (laughs) doesn't always work out the way you expect it to, Mm -hmm. you know? And what I felt invited to in prayer was to give away that expectation of what I thought priesthood was going to be like. And in some ways it is what I expected, but, um, knowing that there is a difference between this is what I expected this to look like, but then God has this deeper desire for me that I can always return to. And that I, I really need to hold on to, um, that that's, that's the thing that's real here. And so I want to turn to the, the reality of this vocation so that I can, instead of focusing on the limitation, the limitedness that hemming in, of this gift of a desire, um, like I can let that go because you realize you're just kind of holding on to something that's too small mm-hmm. um, and that the Lord wants something more for you. And, and uh, I mean, I, I don't want to call myself a spiritual genius or anything like that, but Your it's out there. Mine. No, yeah. <laughs> Somebody said it on the podcast about me. Uh but like I had never been able, that was a really helpful distinction for me because it put some separation. And I, I think at least articulated something that was real, that um, brought hope, uh, but then also allowed me to, um, yeah, like make an offering to Jesus. Because it's not like our expectations are deeply human. So we can't walk around like, again, like we're disembodied. Like, I'm just not going to expect anything. Hmm. I don't think that's what holy indifference means. There's like something bizarrely inhuman about that. Right. You know, if you just came into your coffee shop and you're like, do whatever, anything. Yeah. Free coffee beans. Make your coffee on your own. Or that mom like spent all that time planning a quinceanera and like didn't plan for the food and mm-hmm. didn't care about that. Like, that's weird. So that's not it either. Right. But to be able to articulate it and then to give it to the Lord is a way like we're, I think we're giving our humanity to Christ, which then allows him to, to transform it into his divine desire. Hmm. Yeah. I, um, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Brian. Good. Oh, the, um, you, I, you know, I'm, tentative to just throw this out there, but something you said just in your mannerisms reminded me of Baron a few minutes ago, Mike. So take that for what it's worth. Oh, baby. But you're just, when you were describing it, you just, it was just like him of like, good, good. Let it go. Like, just like that. And, (laughs) um, I just like hear him saying that, um, I don't know. Yeah, th- what I was thinking of there, because there is like this this kind of like sacred ground, 
that were on with it. It's funny. I don't have any experience with quinceaneros um, to relate to the story, but like relating to the stories though, I don't know if you guys have had this, but it's interesting just kind of like walking with families in um, cause I do a lot of funerals and um, like there's something there too that um, like that can get really caught up sometimes in like, well, we wanted three people to, give eulogies, you mm. know, at this, because we wanted to celebrate their life, like at the, at the funeral. And, and so it's like, I think I've learned how to do it. I, I think pretty like tastefully and just, and like legitimately being there for the family of, um, Hey, that's not like at the funeral. Like this is kind of what's allowed because it's proper and we're going to pray for the person and everything like that. Um, but there is something, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't really add anything new there. I'm just kind of relating to what you guys have been um, been talking about because there is there is something like, um, like if you can find that, like what you're saying, like that distinction between like the expectation and the desire, that that is where like humanity lives, like actually being human hmm. and allowing yourself to be like sad and and wounded and like have empathy and like feel this like heaviness of of the world but then also like very much live in in hope which isn't like giddy all all the time um so anyway like i said nothing i don't think there's anything really new there just kind of relating to it Yeah. Uh, and I like what you said, Mike, about it's inhuman not to have expectations. Like I, the reason I got out of bed early this morning was because I had an expectation that you guys would be on this call. And if I had any reason to believe that you'd sleep in, I would sleep in too. You know, it's like, <laughs> um, yeah, that, it's what motivates us is our picture of what the future is going to and could look like if we, if we did this thing, you know, it's the engine that drives us. Um, but yeah, you keep, you keep getting into the other horizon or over the horizon to like what you, uh, were expecting and then it's different. And then you have a choice to make, like, am I going to, um, you know, curse this, curse the reality as it is. It's sort of like Chizek, you know, the father Chizek's whole thing about God's will is the concrete circumstances that you're in. And you can either at every moment say yes or no. And, um, or Therese, I heard Scott Hans quote Therese once, I don't know where she said this, but God gives me whatever I want because whatever God gives me, that's what I want. Like the conforming of the desire to the reality um, is so difficult because it requires this, this constant exercise and detachment. Um, but it's not this like maybe what I can think of as Buddhist detachment where you're just like, I don't want anything. Yeah, um, right. And, and I like that Therese line right there. That's not a cheap line. Right. That's real deal. Like she died. Right. Tuberculosis is one of those things that she wanted because God allowed it. Well, right. Well, but in, and through her life, she, she like gave her life for that reality. Mm -hmm. Like that, that's not a, just a cheap, 
what Rob, your line, the like grace is not cheap. For her to be able to say that, I think that's Dietrich Bonhoeffer, just to be fair. Well, I mean, Rob Johnson, <laughs> yes, but, <laughs> Megan, huh, Megan, what? you know, you know who to attribute that quote to. Okay, so like, let's just. What did you just say? <laughs> that's and so if if we like if our well if our expectation of ourselves and the journey to holiness, the path of holiness, our faith journeys. Um, <laughs> That like I can just see how it's supposed to be, and then just say like, "Oh God, whatever you want is what I want," because I want whatever you want. Yeah. Like, no, you're gonna have to legit die. Yeah. To yourself, hardcore. That's my point. Is it? It's so every day to get to that, and it's, and then she can really, truly, authentically, beautifully say it. I'm I'm glad you brought up faith journey because that's really. That's it. That's what this is all about. Amen. I have to get going, guys. It's been good. Good little morning chat. Nice morning chat. I didn't have many I didn't have much expectation to be honest. I maybe that's why the podcast is is the best thing in the world. It's the best that's what I was gonna say. Uh is we have no expectations. Zero. <laughs> Zero expectations. Well, is that a problem, though? Because we, we just, just talked about how expectations human. We just talked true. about what season we're in, you know, for our yeah. faith journey. That's it. No expectation. <laughs> That's true. Faith journey, you, season 11. Season this, 02. This week on Faith Journey. <laughs> All, right. All right. Later, skaters. Follow Free Dogs North on Instagram. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.